Welcome, this is Michael Volkoff. This is episode 59 of Corruption, Crime, and Compliance. Our episode today is about implementing an internal investigation program. Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining me today on Corruption, Crime, and Compliance, a podcast focused on the legal and compliance industry. Before we get started, I wanted to remind everyone about the ethics and compliance services we offer at my law firm, the Volkoff Law In particular, uh, I wanted to discuss our internal investigation service. As a former federal prosecutor and DOJ official, I have extensive experience in conducting internal investigations. As an independent investigator, we've handled uh, sensitive internal investigations in a timely and cost-effective manner and advised companies on navigating specific risks and potential enforcement actions. We've conducted a number of internal investigations pursuant to board of directors or senior management direction, including document review, interviews, interim and final reports, and presentation of findings. In addition, we've presented findings and reports to government prosecutors and regulatory agencies. We also assist companies in the design and implementation of internal investigation policies and procedures to ensure consistent and efficient handling of complaints and investigations, including training programs for employees to enhance interview skills, report writing, and resolution of protocols for uh, internal and resolution protocols for internal investigation programs. If you're interested, please reach out to me and email me at mvolkoff at volkofflaw.com or feel free to call me on my cell phone, 240-505-1992. Well, apropos of the intro here, I wanted to discuss how companies can design and implement effective internal investigation programs. Um, The importance of internal investigation programs is made clear in the Justice Department and the SEC's FCPA guidance uh, in where it stated, quote, uh, an an, quote, efficient, reliable, and properly funded process has to exist, close quote, for investigating allegations of code and legal violations. It also is important to document the company's response in terms of the awareness of a potential violation uh, of the code or uh, and or the law or regulation and document uh, discipline, remediation, and finally to take lessons learned uh, to update your internal controls, your compliance program, and your future uh, training focus on responsible persons. The internal investigation world changed uh, in, uh, in 2015 with the release of the Justice Department's uh, Yates Memorandum. And in that Yates Memorandum, the Justice Department uh, indicated that it's going to fully leverage its resources to identify culpable individuals. Um, and so the focus became on not only should an internal investigation focus on what, the, what happened, but they also want uh, an answer to the question of, okay, what happened and who was responsible for it and what role did each individual play in this? The Yates Memorandum applies to civil and criminal cases and it applies in all areas uh, under Justice Department scrutiny, antitrust, FCPA, fraud, cybercrime, environmental crime, export control and sanctions, anti-money laundering, uh, all of those types of in, in, uh, in, in uh inquiries. The internal investigation program that you put together 
really has to be sort of uh, reviewed and approved by uh, senior management and the board. Uh, and also, this includes what is the importance of the Yates Memorandum and how has it changed everything. Well, it means that we have to have, uh, for a speak-up culture, we have to have a robust reporting system, but we also have to have a robust response to uh, the concerns that might come in and to make sure that the board and the senior management re uh, report and are aware of what issues are going on and that there is appropriate oversight of the internal investigation function. Importantly, when you implement such a program, you also want to make sure there's transparency. The way that you basically achieve organizational justice, a term that I frequently use, is to make sure that the, the, the program is viewed fairly, uh, promptly, in a timely manner, resolves issues, and also hands out uh, and meets out discipline in a fair and consistent manner. You also want to be able to measure your program, how it's performing, how, how long are uh, complaints taking to be resolved. Um, and you also want to make sure that, that you have uh, appropriate resources uh, assigned to the task and that there are um, enhanced procedures that are transparent, available to everyone in terms of how internal investigations are going to be conducted. I also recommend that there is uh, an internal oversight committee to open, close, monitor individual investigations, and meet out discipline. That is important to me because one of the ways that you can undermine an entire speak-up culture is start to hand out inconsistent discipline. There should be also, many companies are now, uh, as part of their sustainability type uh, reports and programs, are making disclosures with regard to how their internal investigation program is working, meaning we get this number of complaints, we've investigated this number, and uh, we've disciplined and terminated this number of people. Uh, you obviously have to be concerned and careful about privacy concerns uh, in any such disclosure uh, because of the issues of an individual employee's right to uh, confidentiality. So what are the expectations that uh, the stakeholders have in this situation? Well, the board and senior management expect issues to be identified, investigated, and reported for assessment and actions in a timely manner. Managers and employees expect investigations to be conducted fairly, consistently, and transparently. Uh, complainants who bring matters to uh, for investigation or concerns to the company they expect confidentiality, protection from retaliation, fair and quick resolutions. And uh, subjects of investigation who are investigated obviously expect confidentiality and fairness uh, since uh, a number of complaints are, are rejected as um, unsubstantiated. If the federal or state government or regulatory agency is involved, the, the uh, regulatory agency or the enforcement agency are going to expect an independent and credible process, access to the results, and oversight of the remediation process. So how do we integrate and look step-by-step step at our internal investigation process and making sure that all these stakeholders are uh, provided with appropriate uh, you know, insights and uh, input into how the system is going to operate. 
So the source, let's start first. The sources of our complaints come from the internal audit. They come from testing, uh, from compliance. They come from our hotline. They come from, hopefully, most often from supervisors who, uh, let's say, have an open-door policy and employees can bring concerns to them. And then these are elevated within the company. Um, then we have a sort of screening of this information and the screening and assignment as to who's going to appropriately look at this. Now, oftentimes, HR has a process, the human resources uh, element, since most of the complaints, a large proportion, relate to HR issues as they come in. And HR will be part of this whole internal investigation process. And there have to be consistent policies across HR, compliance investigations. All of this should be done uh, in a consistent way. Whether HR handles it or whether compliance gets involved uh, is, is another issue that has to be resolved upon, depending upon resources. So then an internal investigation is conducted. If it's a major or significant matter, let's say with FCPA implications or anything like that, it's reported and usually specifically identified to the board and senior management uh, in any reporting process. Then there, uh, the next step is the findings and resolution, uh, where you may have, a, you close the investigation as unsubstantiated. If it's substantiated, you may have discipline or termination. Uh, and then again, that is done under the auspices of the uh, oversight committee for the internal investigation process. There are then lessons learned and remediation. And then, just like an internal audit report where there are uh, set deadlines for remediation. There have to be compliance program improvements and deadlines for uh, implementation of changes as a result of, let's say, an internal investigation. Now let's delve a little bit more into the internal investigation process because we start usually with an allegation. Uh, we start uh, and who the source of the investigation is and is this a whistleblower um, and we also have at intake, and I would call it intake, a classification and then a protocol for who's going to uh, handle it uh, and the assignment of it, which is the next issue, the investigation that uh, con is conducted and the monitoring of that investigation and then the resolution uh, informing the complainant of the resolution and the remediation that may be required. So it's a step-by-step -step process for your internal investigation process. So again, I mentioned your intake sources uh, are internal complaints and concerns, human resources, obviously, direct managers. And remember this one important consideration. 60% of employees will basically say they want to report their concerns to their immediate supervisor. And that makes sense. They want to uh, sort of show their supervisor that they care, and they think that they can hold the supervisor accountable and that the supervisor may be able to get something done that they may not otherwise have been able to. And uh, but what's interesting is that if you survey your direct manager, 60% will say that they're not familiar with how to handle complaints, whether it's a walk-in, whether it's an email, they don't know how to do it. And that indicates to me the importance of training your managers, your direct managers, on how to handle complaints and concerns relating to an internal invest, you know, an employee concern that starts an investigation. 
hotlines, as we mentioned, internal audit, even third parties, uh, government or regulatory uh, uh, sources, all can sort of bring concerns to the company's uh, attention. Uh, whistleblowers, we've mentioned, and sometimes a board will direct uh, an investigation of a particular issue as well. In terms of the structure for your internal investigation program, like I said, we have a supervisory committee at the top which reviews and monitors internal investigations. This is different because they get more involved in day-to-day -day issues. This is different than, obviously, the audit committee or a senior management or compliance committee. This is a supervisory committee that should consist of a representative from HR, from legal, from compliance, from finance, uh, as well as a business representative um, that can review and monitor internal investigations and do so and resolve them uh, in a consistent way. So they're, uh, they're aware of precedent, they're aware of similar cases, and to make sure that things are handled in a consistent way. We then have an internal investigation unit. And the question always I get asked is, where should this unit be located? In audit, in legal, in compliance? Well, the answer usually depends on the size of the company, whether or not there are resources available for a centralized uh, uh, versus local or both, where you have a centralized unit and you have local resources out in the field uh, for purposes of conducting investigations. And you also have hotline investigators who manage cases as they come in, uh, usually the more routine uh, ways. Whatever you can do, the best operating uh, sy systems that I've seen have been internal investigation units, along with localized investigators who report into the centralized unit as well. Um, if you have the resources to do that, it works the best. I would not place it in audit. I think audit has its own amount of work to do, and uh, I don't really like seeing internal auditors doing the internal investigations, particularly if you need a privileged investigation. So I like to look at legal and, com and or compliance uh, as responsible uh, for the internal investigation unit, having that uh, placed in either the legal side or the compliance side, depending upon how things are uh, working out within the company and structured on those two fronts. We also need, though, collectors or receptors at the bottom, or I call them, GE they call them, um, ombuds people, who are located throughout the company and all their job is is to take in concerns and pass them up. In other words, a place or a person who uh, are there to receive uh, concerns and have been trained on how to handle it and then and what to say and then pass that along uh, up and elevate those issues uh, for others to can take a look at. What kind of board reporting do we need in terms of uh, oversight uh, to the audit committee, for example? Well, we need quarterly statistics on your internal investigation program, the number and types of cases and concerns that are coming in, the sources of referrals, and then I would always slice and dice to get more and more insights and sort of seeing trend lines by regions, by countries, by product lines. Uh, and these are ways that are really important to see uh, how effective your avenues are, what your cultures, uh, these may be warning signs as to culture deteriorations, and how are specific regions in particular working. 
We also want to keep uh, statistics as to the time to resolution, the time to, for example, from the opening of a case to the closing of a case. And on routine matters, those should be uh, very, very uh, uh, short. You know, I usually have said uh, 60 days, and that's your, that should be your goal for the routine issues. But at the board, there should be a specific discussion of cases of significance, internal or external. If you're dealing with DOJ, obviously, you're going to talk about those. But any internal investigation with potential significance. Like I said on the oversight function, the case numbers give important insights and trends. It may be an indication that you may need to do a culture survey that's targeted to a region, a country, or a product line. Uh, and remember the importance of prompt resolution and consistent discipline. So what kind of uh, investigations do we see coming in in terms of uh, complaints and concerns? And I like to think of it, we have a routine sort of continuous process that is subject to the reviews that I was just talking about, uh, where senior management reviews uh, the process and the numbers and the procedures in any major cases. If you have serious issues, uh, which means there's going to be a possible government disclosure, there's a whistleblower, there's potential significant liability, the board needs to know about that as well as senior management uh, knowing about that. Those are sort of the more significant cases that come in and are investigated uh, beyond the routine. And then we have, of course, our high stakes issues, which are which demand uh, a crisis response team, let's say a data breach like at Equifax uh, that occurred. You're going to have a cri crisis response team and management, the board committee, uh, senior management, government involvement. Those are your high stakes issues. So look at it as sort of a tree of three layers, one routine, two serious issues, three high stakes issues. One of the more important principles that I've mentioned here is transparency. How do you get buy-in from uh, employees and managers? Well, the most important thing to do is publish, please, publish, publish, publish your policies and procedures for conducting internal investigations and the way you're going to handle them so everybody knows this is the system and they can hold you accountable, but also it gives you something to stick to. You want to have a transparent system. The only, two, the only constraint that I see, or two constraints that I see, are one, privacy. You don't want to disclose people's names. You don't want to have information come out about a particular individual that may be a witness or be investigated. And you never want to compromise an ongoing investigation through transparency. But at least your procedures and the way that you handle these should be clear and should be available to people. Um, you want to publish these po protocols and procedures on your intranet site, and you want to have annual or semi-annual disclosures of numbers, lessons learned, those types of things. But again, make sure that you're not disclosing singular information that could uh, allow people to identify who, in fact, is either a subject of invest an investigation or who might be the complainant of an that led to an investigation. We also need, uh, as part of our policies and procedures, standard operating procedures. We want to define these SOPs for different types of internal investigations. So, for example, we like to have an investigative plan for uh, investigations, interview planning worksheet, and scripts that people can use to maintain consistency. 
the more templates you use, and we help people to prepare templates in this area, the more templates that you use and and go-to guides, uh, the more consistency you can have when you have different people conducting uh, investigations. You always want to have a standardized form for witness interview reports and uh, and standardized your upjohn warnings uh, and documentation. In other words, I do not rely upon people just to say the upjohn warnings to the witness and then just make a note that I said them and therefore they were, uh, and then uh, the, the uh, witness uh, agreed to go forward with the interview. No, I want proof not in every case, but where you're going to give upjohn warnings, you need to hand them a sheet of paper which outlines the upjohn warnings, allow them time to review it, have them sign a document which says we reviewed these and we want to go forward. It's not worth getting into litigation or issues over whether or not you uh, provided the upjohn warnings. Just do it in writing, document it, and move on. You also want to have standard procedures for how you contact witnesses, how you report on the status of investigations, and you always want to emphasize that there's no a non-retaliation policy and document that any opportunity you have to deal with a complainant or a witness, you always emphasize that there's a non-retaliation policy. You want to have a consistent format for reporting results of investigation across the organization and you want to define a specific procedure and consistent procedure for resolution and determination of discipline. So the procedures, like I said, uh, should, and let me drill down a little bit more on this. On an investigative plan, for example, you want to have an investigation template which defines the nature of the offenses that are being investigated and the elements of the offense. In other words, what specific elements make up the offense for fraud, for theft, that somebody intentionally uh, stole or took possession of or converted uh, something that was not uh, theirs uh, and define the elements in great detail for each offense so that people know what they have to investigate and don't get lost on tangents. Prepare, for example, basic interview outlines and make sure the issue of whether or not this is attorney-client privilege and whether or not it requires it is considered up front and reviewed on an ongoing basis. You want, to doc you want to have a document collection plan. You want to have templates for document hold letters and making sure that you comply with all applicable privacy laws. I mentioned conducting the interviews already, a written uh, upjohn warnings when appropriate, uh, you also want to make sure there are con that if there are conflicts of interest uh, and that people do need separate lawyers, that you're aware of those issues and can handle them. Again, we also want to have standard presentations for investigation reports, how the oversight and reporting is done to the uh, Internal Investigations Committee, uh, and obviously how discipline and remediation is done, and a consistent training program. So I mentioned here uh, the attorney-client privilege issue, and that gets into what type of internal investigation should we conduct. Sometimes you know that it's important enough that you should probably put the investigation under privilege. Uh, privilege is an important aspect of an internal investigation program because it protects, obviously, the company from disclosure. Now, there are questions as to whether or not 
Uh, lawyers have to be involved uh, technically. You can have a privileged investigation uh, as long as it's authorized and supervised by the head of legal affairs, let's say your general counsel. And many companies will do that same process. They have the general counsel authorize the investigation and that the interviews and collection of documents is done for the purpose of providing the company with legal advice. Um, and also uh, another way to make sure it's privileged, uh, although it's not an absolute requirement, is to have lawyers uh, conducting uh, or attending uh, parts of the uh, investigation that need to be privileged, in other words, interviews. Um, and so remember the, the mantra here is that all the work is done for purposes of analyzing legal issues and providing legal advice to the client company. Now I also mentioned internal investigation plans and those are, and the way I usually divide this is by investigative steps and action items. Investigative steps include a review of the allegation, the the definition of the elements of the offense, what and where are the relevant documents, what internal and external assistance will I need, who is my complainant, and who are or is my alleged perpetrator or perpetrators, and who are my witnesses. So let's take each investigative step. The basic facts for reviewing an allegation has to occur in the potential violation. Is it the code of conduct, federal law, regulations, local laws, local state, uh, and uh, local regulations. We also, for elements of the offense, break each offense down and understand the elements of the offense. With regard to relevant documents, we would preserve those as soon as possible and exercise control over them as well. What internal and external assistance will I need? Well, you look at financial analysis or financial data, information technology we always need, uh, auditing, human resources, and obviously subject matter experts. Who's your complainant? Make contact and gather intelligence and records about your, con your the complainant. And the alleged uh, perpetrators always gather intelligence and records, background records you can about the perpetrators or alleged perpetrators to see what uh, their background looks like, have they been investigated before, that type of thing. And obviously you identify potential witnesses. And I apologize for that. So uh, looking at the internal investigation plan, we also need to make, sh make sure that we, um, we include and attend to preserving our attorney-client privilege. The conduct of the investigation, whether it should be under privilege, must be carefully preserved and when in doubt, use an attorney. Remember, however, that when you waive the privilege, you waive it for all purposes, for government investigation, civil litigation, individual defendants. So like I said, uh, many times we have to work to preserve the pri privilege and uh, make sure that it's authorized under the privilege. If you have outside counsel doing it, like you hire us, it's by definition then privilege uh, to do that. So that's the easiest way to preserve the privilege, but, uh, but for there are various internal investigations that need to have the privilege uh, preserved as well. One of the issues that comes, off, uh, comes up and I really would like to see people address is uh, walling off particular uh, people. So senior executives, let's say, or, ex or managers may have to be excluded from any involvement in an investigation 
in order to preserve the independence of the investigation. If the individual's conduct is under investigation, then the individual should be excluded from the internal investigation. Meaning, if you're looking at the general counsel's conduct as part of the investigation, that in, or an attorney's conduct, then those, those individuals have to be excluded from the oversight and participation in the internal investigation. And you should have a clear, bright-line rule uh, with regard to this issue as well. Okay, I mentioned witness interviews and upjohn warnings. I've done a whole uh, series of, uh, of, um, of uh, podcasts and uh, webinars on um, witness interviews and the importance of them in, in terms of how state, how important they are uh, and how important they are to an internal investigation program. We've mentioned the uh, upjohn uh uh, warnings issue. And a lot of times when you start to do investigations, people will say, and person you're interviewing, do I need a lawyer? Or will I lose my job? Uh, and those are questions you have to be ready to respond to by just saying, it's really up to you. I represent the company. I don't represent you. And will I lose my job? That's not, you know, as the interviewer, you're going to say, um, I, uh, my job is to gather the facts. Um, and so remember the witness interviews the stakes are high, um, and the, you want to make sure you have a consistent, fair process. Uh, I'm not a believer in recording interviews, so I'd urge people not to do that, but I would obviously memorialize. I'd, let's say if I'm doing the interview, have one person with me who takes notes, and we prepare a memo as to what occurred during the interview. And we conduct the interviews professionally, firmly, and with respect. Okay, so... Um, one, a couple of other minor issues before we finish for the today, but whistleblower complaints and the importance of whistleblowers because it increases the likelihood of a government investigation. So we have to, to reach out to our whistleblowers and establish a positive relationship from the beginning. We conduct the internal investigation promptly. We may, in fact, have to disclose to the government uh, in this situation um, because of our own concern that the whistleblowers has or will disclose to the government. Uh, and we should have a whistleblower protocol in, in place in writing for that demonstrates our commitment to listen to the whistleblower, to take the allegations seriously, and to uh, reinforce the idea that there's no retaliation uh, against that. We also have to resolve in difficult factual issues uh, in connection with our internal investigations. Remember, credibility uh, determinations are very important and can make the difference between uh, finding a substantiated or unsubstantiated uh, concern that's raised. You have to be logical, um, and you obviously uh, want to look at the factual issues in a dispassionate way. Um, you don't want to have any bias. And remember, it's important under the Yates Memorandum, if it gets to that, if it is a government investigation, to make sure that you've identified all culpable individuals. Um, and remember, there are different standards of evidence for substantiated, preponderance, and beyond a reasonable doubt. Um, but avoid in uh, conspiracy issues and tangents. Stay on your elements of the offense and keep the focus. 
Now, oftentimes uh, in an internal investigation program, unless it's a high-stakes matter, you're going to write a comprehensive and objective report. Sloppy reports lead to sloppy results and creates risks for litigation exposure. Remember, you're not the change agent. You, as the investigator, should not be recommending discipline or other measures. You write uh, a clear, factual presentation and then leave it to others to make the recommendations with regard to discipline or other measures. You should reach a conclusion as to whether an allegation is uh, substantiated or not. We uh, also uh, will report uh, to our internal uh, investigations uh, committee uh, specific reports, uh, the progress of investigations, the decision or recommendation to continue or close or resolve uh, and discipline a, a particular investigation, and they will be responsible for keeping track of investigations, monitoring the investigations, and keeping appropriate statistics and relevant measures. We then uh, want to make sure that we train our internal investigation team. The more training that's done is better, not once a year having people together, but training and more training. Templates and forms, like I've mentioned, ensure consistency. We want to define the elements of each offense. Those should be defined in advance. And we want to focus our investigations to ensure consistency and um, effective and efficient uh, investigations that don't get lost into uh, transition. My last point here uh, before closing out is the importance of consistent discipline. Remember, uneven discipline undermines the whole internal investigation function as well as any corporate culture of integrity or commitment to organizational justice. Disparate justice means that managers and employees lose trust and faith in the system. And you'll see reporting uh, rates and the reporting of concerns and problems will uh, deteriorate and uh, fall off the, uh, the measurement scale there. So management has to communicate and own the discipline process and has to make sure that discipline is meted out fairly and transparently uh, and monitor this process uh, as much as possible. Well, I hope that gives you a good feel for an internal investigations uh, program. Like I said in the beginning, we help companies uh, design these, come up with templates, come up with uh, training programs. We conduct training programs on how to do internal investigations, how to conduct interviews. So please, again, feel free to contact me at mvolkoff at volkofflaw.com or call me at 240-505-1992. Thanks again for listening to Corruption, Crime, and Compliance. Please subscribe to the podcast series. The Volkoff Law Group believes that every company should have a robust ethics and compliance program. Experience and research show that ethical companies are better performers in the global marketplace. At Ethical Companies, employees believe in the company, they feel vested, and are more productive. As a result, misconduct rates are much lower and financial performance is higher. We can help you achieve these benefits through an effective ethics and compliance program. You can learn more about our commitment to effective ethics and compliance programs at our website, www.bookoflaw.com, our award-winning blog, Corruption, Crime, and Compliance, and our podcast series, you can always contact me at my email address, mvolkoff at volkofflaw.com. 
Let us know how we can help you.